We want to, uh, we interrupted our um, series on spiritual gifts last week uh, because it was around Independence Day, the 4th of July. But we want to continue along with uh, some things that we were talking about regarding spiritual gifts, manifestations of the Spirit, so forth. And uh, we've been using 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as kind of a jumping off point, starting point for uh, the remarks that we've made about spiritual gifts. There are... Um, let me make some uh, some comments before I, I get over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's important, I believe, for us to recognize the days and the times that we live. I believe it's more important and gets more important the closer and closer we get to the end. And the end I'm talking about is the end of the church's time here on this earth, talking about when Jesus comes back for the church. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24 when Jesus was asked of signs of the end, he gave some very specific information so that we would understand what to look for. There are things that are going on in our country that, um, that read like the Bible, to be honest with you, if you understand the Bible. In Matthew 24, when Jesus was asked about the signs of the end, he was talking about the temple being destroyed, Herod's temple being destroyed. Everybody was really impressed with how pretty the temple was, and Jesus wasn't impressed at all because God wasn't behind it. It was Herod trying to make a name for himself. And uh, so he said uh, that not one stone would be left upon another, which was fulfilled in 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed. But then he talked about more than that. He talked about... uh, uh, End time events. The disciples asked him, what will be the sign of these things? In other words, when will the temple be destroyed like you're talking about? But they thought that it was all at the end of the world. And so they said, what are the signs of the end and the signs of your coming? And Jesus answered them some very specific things. And, uh, and he said to them, I'm reading from Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, if you want to follow along, if you want to see it for yourself. Jesus answering said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. I overlooked that verse of scripture for a long time, many, many years. But one of the greatest signs of the end is going to be deception. One of the greatest signs of the end is going to be deception. Now, folks, the things that are going on in our world that don't make sense are because of deception. Somebody explained to me in some kind of logical manner why the government would open the door to refugees and immigrants that we know we're working against the well-being of our country as far as terrorism is concerned. Somebody explain that to me. Now, I, now I get it. I understand it. They're democratic votes. But tell me how it makes sense for the Democrats to get more votes from people that want to destroy the country. Anybody that tries to make that argument, of course, they won't admit that's what's going on. But anybody that tries to make that argument is deceived. You don't make a pet out of a cobra. Unless you're deceived. So where Jesus said, take heed that no man deceive you, deception is going to be one of the biggest things that there is. Folks, the world is under deception about this climate change and and Man, at least man-made climate change. There's no scientific evidence that shows that any of the climate change claims are true. Now, we've got computer models, but that's all there is. So you've got weathermen that can't tell us what the, what's going to happen Tuesday <laughs> that are telling us what's going to happen in the next 5, 10, 15, and 20 years. That's deception. Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. Now the deception he's talking about specifically here, there are people that are claiming other ways to God than him. Islam claims to be a way to God. 
It's not Jesus. And Allah is not God, the Father, the creator of the universe. Then he starts talking about some of the specific signs as well. He said, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Wars and rumors of wars. Now, we know about wars. We know what those are. But the rumors of wars are just as significant as the, the, the real wars that he refers to as signs of the end. For example, you've got certain Middle Eastern countries that are claiming and have openly stated and do openly state that their purpose is to destroy the nation of Israel. Well, that's a rumor of a war. Iran's stated purpose to wipe Israel off the map, that's a rumor of war. Now, they just recently, within the last, well, certainly within the last 10 years, have openly come out and stated that that's their purpose. Now, it's not that that's a surprise. People knew it before. But you've got countries and nations and groups that are coming out openly saying, this is what we're going to do. For the most part, those statements of intent are ignored. But Jesus said those were signs of the end. You'd hear of wars and rumors of wars. He said, see that you be not troubled. Nothing to be afraid of. But it is something to be aware of. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For... Now, the way he says this, it seems to indicate that the signs of the ends, the last signs of the ends are going to be the things that he mentions next. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And pestilence, there shall be famines and pestilences or plagues and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Um, The word nation is the word ethnos. Literally, he's saying, for race will rise against race. Now, folks, you judge this for yourself, and I, I don't claim to have a crystal ball. I do have a book that tells us what's going to happen at the end. But those things can be misinterpreted, so you have to let the Holy Ghost lead and guide you according to the witness of your own heart, and don't take my word for anything especially if I'm giving you my opinion. I'm usually pretty good about telling you this is my opinion. It's different if I tell you this is what the Word says. That's not subject to opinion. That's just the way that it is. But in my opinion, the country crossed a line this, week, this last week. We've got in the last 10 or 12 days one of the greatest or two of the greatest examples of lawlessness in the country's history. So it says two things that we look for for the signs of the end are race riots or race wars, black against white, brown against white, black against brown, whatever colors we can come up with. And then he said, kingdom shall rise against kingdom. Now, we usually think of that as countries. But the word kingdom means government or royalty. ISIS and the operation of ISIS in the world is a kingdom rising up against other kingdoms. It's Sharia law trying to impose itself or opposing democracy in America's case. Other forms of Islamic government in the Middle East other than Sharia law, what they consider to be moderate. It would even include communism's advance in the the European states, the Ukraine and other things that are taking place in the Baltic states that we don't even hear about. These are signs of the end. It's, uh, it's always intrigued me in Revelation chapter 9 where it talks about things that are happening during the tribulation period. 
there's a, a devastating plague that takes place where a third of mankind on the earth are killed. One third of the people on the earth are killed. And it said, yet people didn't repent of their idol worship. And then mentions four things specifically that show the condition of the, of the, the world at that time. Now, granted, I understand it's during the tribulation. But it seems to me, and you judge this for yourself, it seems to me that since the tribulation doesn't change people, the only change, the only difference in the tribulation and the days that we're living in is the church is removed. The unsaved don't get worse because the church is gone. They're the same then as they are now. So it stands to reason in my thinking that the four things that are mentioned during the tribulation at that point in time in Revelation chapter 9, it's about verse 20, 21, somewhere around there. It said, neither, they, neither did the people repent of four things, murders, sorceries. Now, the word sorceries from the Greek is the word pharmakeia. It's where we get our English word pharmacies, talking about drug use. So it says, neither did they repent of their murders, drug use, fornications, sexual immorality, and so forth, and thefts. So in my thinking, and again, you judge this for yourself. In my thinking, the closer we get to the tribulation period, those could be things that we could look at to be conditions of the earth just prior to the church leaving. I would submit that there's an increase in all of those in the earth that we're living in today. We're on the road, folks. It's not anything for us to be afraid of because Jesus is coming back. But it is something for us to be aware of, to know the times that we live in and the urgency of reaching people before he comes. Now, you may think that I've either gotten off track from spiritual gifts or haven't gotten started on it. But I want to show you how these things work together. One of the things that the Bible tells us to do in, in Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1. Verse of scripture I use a lot. I hope you know it. Ask ye of the Lord rain. Talking about a moving or a type of the Holy Ghost. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. Well, the time of the latter rain would have to be the last days, wouldn't it? Well, here's what will happen if we do. So shall the Lord make bright clouds. The margin of my Bible says lightnings. It's talking about a display of God's power. And it's talking about a manifestation of his presence. Because in the Old, in old Testament, in the old days, God appeared in, in form as a cloud. So the bright clouds or the shining clouds is talking about the glory of God. In power and manifestation. So he said, ask of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So shall he make bright clouds and give them showers of rain. Now, if rain is a type of the Holy Ghost, then showers would be an outpouring of the Spirit of God. He says that the result or the, the purpose for that is to everyone grass in the field. In other words, to produce a harvest. The only harvest God cares about is people. But back to the showers of rain. What would outpourings of the Holy Ghost be if not manifestations of the Spirit of God. What would outpourings of the Spirit of God be if not spiritual gifts? Paul was very clear in saying that these nine manifestations of the, gift of the Spirit of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 are the only ways that God moves. So what would showers of rain be if not manifestations or outpourings of spiritual gifts? They have to be. If the Bible's true, they have to be. So in the last days, the closer and closer we get to the end, the more and more of these signs that we see, lawlessness all around us, deception all around us, race wars, the continuation of ISIS and such, the more and more of that stuff we see, the more and more we can expect gifts of the Spirit to manifest.
We live in the days that the Bible calls glorious days. The Bible says Jesus is coming for a glorious church, not a hunkered down church. Not a church living in a cave hoping to get by. We've seen just about everything under the sun. We've seen Y2K food. And how that was supposed to bring, bring the end of the world and because of a computer glitch. We've heard just about every prediction that there is of doom and gloom. Yet the Bible says that the church will go out as a glorious church. Now, how could we be a glorious church if we're not a church of power? See, this is God's definition of glory, not man's definition. God calls his glory that which demonstrates his power and manifests his presence to bring blessing to mankind. That's the condition of the church when Jesus comes. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying every part of the church will be operating in the power of God or anything like that. In fact, the Bible talks about when Jesus comes, it talks about a catching away. That word, can, that word that's translated in 1 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians, translated into the English as catching away can mean two things. It can mean departure and it can mean apostasy. Now, the Greek language is such that if Paul, by the Holy Ghost, was trying to say one without the other, there's a word for it. In other words, if he's just talking about the departure, meaning the rapture of the church, there's a word that could be used exclusively for that meaning. If he's talking about an apostasy, a turning away from truth, and that's the only thing that he meant, there's a Greek word that he could have used for that. So anytime you find the Holy Ghost choosing words that mean, that have dual meanings, oftentimes they mean both. And in my opinion, you judge this for yourself. Or you can just wait till the end and see that I'm right. I believe it means both. I I believe that it means there's a portion of the church that'll go along their merry way, believing in God, believing in salvation, but not living by the word or the power that's available to us in the name of Jesus. They'll be distracted by their little things, whether they be church programs, or social issues. And the coming of Jesus will catch them unaware. But there will be a portion of the church. I hope it's significant. But it might not be. But there will be a portion of the church. That will operate in the power of God. That will be subject to and will experience these outpourings of the spirit. To reach people. Whatever the percentages are. Jesus calls the whole church glorious for the sake of that. Shall we say remnant. The ones that will walk according to the word and in the power of God. Now look with me over to 1 Corinthians 12. This is the reason, particularly, why I believe the Holy Ghost is having me teach on these things. Because there's very little that shall be more important at the end times if the Bible's true.
than understanding how to work with and cooperate together with the moving of the Holy Ghost. Folks, if church programs are going to win the world, we'd have won it already. If man's preaching and teaching was going to win the world, the world would have been won already. It's going to take something else. James 5, 7 says, Jesus is the husband, and behold, the husband waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. Well, the precious fruit of the earth has got to be the harvest of people. The Bible says Jesus is waiting for more people to come into the kingdom of God. All the signs, as far as I can see, all the signs of Jesus coming have been fulfilled. There's nothing else left to be done before Jesus can come. Well, if he can come and he's not coming, why is he not coming? James 5, 7 says it's because he's waiting for more people to come into the kingdom of God. Now, that's the work of the church. But the work of the church has been uh, attempted for centuries. The church has attempted to do that work through the hand, the arm of the flesh. We've come up with programs and and ideas and outreaches and, and so forth. And I'm not saying that those things are wrong or bad. But Jesus is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth that will come forth as a result of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, the early and the latter rain. What is that outpouring of the Holy Ghost if not manifestations of the Spirit, if not spiritual gifts? Paul said by the Holy Ghost that this is the way that he works. These nine manifestations of the Spirit are the way that he works. Why would we expect him to work other than that in the last days When the Bible says that's the way that he'll do it. That's why I believe it's more important for us to understand these things. Perhaps than ever before in the history of the church. Paul said in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts brethren I would not have you ignorant. The word gifts is in italics. It means that the translators added it to help us gain understanding. For the most part, they do a great job when they put words in to help us. But in this case, the, the original Greek has the word spiritual in the plural. Now concerning spirituals, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. That doesn't make much sense to us, so you can well understand why the translators would try to put something in there. But the word spirituals in the Greek means things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. Now concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, brethren... I would not have you to be ignorant. If God didn't want them ignorant, he doesn't want us ignorant. So notice that the Holy Ghost moves in such a way upon Paul to tell them about himself and his own workings in and among the church. And then saves the record of it for us so that we'll know how the Holy Ghost works in the church. Verse 4, now there are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations but it's the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So all these things he's going to list, these nine Different spiritual gifts, as most people call them, are what he identifies. The Holy Ghost identifies of himself as manifestations of the Spirit. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit. Uh, Amplified Bible says special faith. I think that's good to note because he's not talking about ordinary faith or saving faith. To another the gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Notice the word diverse is added. Again, the, uh, the translators are trying to help us. Literally, it reads, to another, kinds of tongues. But in verse 28, it talks about diversities of tongues that God has set in the church. So you could well understand that even just from the word kinds of tongues, he's talking about different types or different kinds of tongues in operation. 
Now, that's what I want to talk to you about this morning for a few moments. I've used most of my time up. I realize that. But I want to talk to you for a few moments about diversities of tongues or diverse kinds of tongues. In one sense, it's more important for you to understand about tongues than it is any of the others. This bears out by the fact that Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, gave us an entire chapter, chapter 14 to 1 Corinthians, explaining the use of tongues and interpretation of tongues in the church. In one sense, tongues is the most prominent gift. It's certainly the most frequent gift in operation through the church. Now, some outside Pentecostal and charismatic circles will criticize us in saying that we put an undue emphasis on tongues. But I would submit to you, number one, we're putting the same emphasis on tongues that Paul did. And then the question arises, why do you people talk about it so much? Well, for the most part, because people ask us about it so much. Then, when 1 Corinthians was written, and now there seems to be much misunderstanding about tongues, interpretation of tongues, and so forth. The Holy Ghost seemed to feel a need to bring correction to what was going on. Now, first and foremost, the things you need to understand about tongues is tongues are all the same in essence, but they're different in purpose and use. What I mean by that is very simply this. Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, after his resurrection, that tongues was one of the speaking in tongues was one of the signs of the believer. These signs shall follow them to believe. I believe it starts in first in Matthew, Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 15. And these signs shall follow them that believe. The first one he mentions is they shall cast out devils. Talking about authority over the devil. Authority over the devil should be the first and foremost sign in the church. Believers in the church. Second sign he mentions is they shall speak with new tongues. Now some will say that that has to do with linguistic ability and that was Jesus' attempt to reach the world and now we know other languages and we can learn other languages and so forth and so that's not necessary. But of the list of five different signs that Jesus gives, the other four are supernatural. Why would this one not be? He talks about two signs that refer to divine protection They shall take up serpents. That means like when Paul was bitten by the snake on the island of Melita. He just shook it off into the fire. He's not talking about these nuts that go out and handle snakes trying to prove something. Most of the time they just prove that they can get bit and die. I'm not sure how that's a sign of any believer. And then he mentions if they drink any deadly thing it shall not hurt them. He's talking about divine protection. Then the last sign that he mentions is they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Well, that's supernatural, isn't it? He's talking about the power of God there. So speaking with new tongues is a sign of the church. Now, I know every church doesn't believe in it. I know every Christian doesn't believe in it. Sadly, to their detriment. But Jesus said that it was a sign of the believer. Now, you can make whatever excuse about that you want to, but Jesus said it was a sign of the believer. Secondly, speaking with tongues is unique to the church age. We've got up through Jesus' ministry, Old Testament and up through Jesus' ministry, we've got all the other seven manifestations of the Spirit except tongues and interpretation of tongues. Now, why is that? Because it's distinctive and unique to the church age. Now, if you were God, thank God you're not. But if you were God and you were going to set two manifestations of the Spirit in the church, specifically for the end times, meaning the last days, meaning the church age, 
would you not place an emphasis or a prominence on the one that's specific and unique to the church age for the church to use? Well, he does. And the first prominence that is shown through that is that tongues, speaking with tongues, is the initial evidence of being filled with the Spirit of God. Now, we preach the same salvation that the early church preached, don't we? Jesus went to the cross, died for our sins, and was raised from the dead for our justification. So we should expect the same evidence of salvation that the early church had, shouldn't we? Which is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance. Well, if we preach the same salvation experience that the early church preached and expect the same evidence of that salvation experience, then when we preach the baptism of the Holy Ghost, shouldn't we expect the same evidence of that experience that the early church had? Certainly we should. Now, there are five times in the book of Acts where somebody was filled, somebody or some group was filled with the Holy Ghost. I want to look at those with you real quick this morning. That's probably as far as we're going to get today. But let's look at those, beginning with Acts chapter 2. They cover a period of 20 years throughout the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 is certainly talking about the day of Pentecost. John chapter 20 tells us that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he appears to his disciples who were huddled up behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. He appears to them, says, look at me, handle me, touch me, see that I'm alive. Then in about verse 22 of John chapter 20, he breathed on them and says, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Then he tells us what the context is. He said, whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted, and whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. He's talking about receiving the Holy Ghost in connection with the remission of sins. That's what we would call the salvation experience. See, some people say that we Pentecostals are telling the rest of the church world they don't have the Holy Ghost because they don't speak with other tongues. And we're not saying that at all. We're saying there are two experiences with the Holy Ghost. One is called the salvation experience where we receive the Holy Ghost unto newness of life. Well, that creates a change in us. It created a change in the disciples. When Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost, if they didn't receive the Holy Ghost, then Jesus perpetrated a fraud upon them. But they did receive the Holy Ghost because their, their nature changed. Luke 24 says that coming back from that point in time, about verse 52, I believe it is, it says, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were openly in the temple praising and worshiping God. Well, something changed in them. Something happened to change them from behind, huddled up behind closed doors, hiding out for fear of the Jews to where now they're openly in the temple praising God, worshiping his name. Something changed in them. They were born again. Beginning of the church was not in Acts chapter 2. It was in John chapter 20. They confessed Jesus as Lord. Because they saw that he was risen from the dead. But that same group that's received salvation, the disciples, Jesus tells them to wait in Jerusalem until they be endued with power from on high. Only time Jesus ever told the church to wait. He says, wait for the day of Pentecost. Thank God the day of Pentecost is coming and gone. We're not waiting anymore. If you're waiting for God to do something, you're backing up. So in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost comes. They're waiting. They don't know how long they're waiting for. They don't, know, they don't even know what they're waiting for, except that they'll be endued with power from on high. Verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. 
And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all, everybody say all. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Notice the first thing that it identifies as evidence of being filled with the Holy Ghost is speaking with other tongues. Now look with me over to Acts chapter 8. Most Bible scholars believe about eight years has passed since Acts chapter 2. Verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Skip down with me to verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Now, are these people saved? They believe in the name of Jesus and they've been baptized. Jesus told us that those were part of the criteria for salvation. Furthermore, where it says they received the word of Christ, Peter writes to us in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, that we're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God. So if it says they received the word of God, that means they received salvation. They've been born again. Verse 14, now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, in other words, that they'd been born again, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of Jesus. What does that mean? That means they've only been saved and not filled with the Spirit. They've received the Holy Ghost through salvation, but not the second second experience where you receive the infilling or the fullness of the Holy Ghost. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now, notice the phrase that it used. It talks about salvation is receiving the Word of God. It talks about being filled with the Holy Ghost as receiving the Holy Ghost. Verse 18, and when Simon, he's referred to before, he's a, a, a sorcerer in the city. He held himself out among the crowd as some great person, some power of God and so forth. Verse 18, and when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, I may, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Now, some will say, yeah, but in Acts chapter 8, it doesn't say they spoke in tongues. It said they received the Holy Ghost, but they didn't speak in tongues. Well, something happened for Simon to see. You wouldn't have a con man offering money for nothing. There was something to see. Simon saw some evidence that made him offer money to receive the power for. Peter answers him, says in verse 20, he said, thy money perish with thee because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. For thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Now, if you study the Bible a little bit, you'll come to a greater understanding of what's really going on. Simon clearly saw something when the people were filled with the Holy Ghost. He offered money to receive the power to give it to other people. What did he see? Well, Peter gives us a clue where he says, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. The word matter, the root word for the root of the word matter in the Greek, is the same root word for the word utterance in in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. Acts 2 and verse 4, it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Same root word as this word matter in Acts chapter 8. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. We could translate that accurately. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this utterance. So what did he see? He saw them speak something. 
according to the scripture. Now look in Acts chapter 9. Here's the third experience. We don't know how much after this, after Acts chapter 8, this took place, so we can't put a, a date on this one. This is when Saul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and comes away blinded by the glory of the light. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias in verse 10. And to him to the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I'm here, Lord. And he tells him to go to a certain place and lay hands on Saul that he might receive his sight. Ananias argues with the Lord a little bit about it. But when he's convinced that God's in it, he obeys what Jesus tells him to do. So notice in verse 17, it says, And Ananias went his way and entered into his house, into the house. And putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul... Well, he's got to be saved if he's calling him brother. So Saul's been saved, but he doesn't have an additional experience with the Holy Ghost yet. Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way, he calls Jesus Lord, another evidence that he's saved, that appeared to thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. So here's an example, clear example of somebody else, Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul, who's saved but not filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Now here it doesn't say that Paul, who was then known as Saul, spoke with other tongues. But we know that he did. Paul says himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, about verse 18, he said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. So there's really only one question to answer, and that is, when did he begin to speak with other tongues? We know that he did. He did by his own testimony. The question is, when did he begin to speak with other tongues? To conclude that he began to speak with other tongues at some time other than what the Bible gives us as an example of those who did speak with tongues is to add to the Scripture. When others were filled with the Holy Ghost, they began to speak with other tongues. Ananias came to lay hands on Paul to receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And we know from Paul's testimony, they began to speak with other tongues. Pretty easy for me to connect the dots. I know not everybody's willing to, but it's there to see if you want to see it. Look with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is 10 years after Acts chapter 2. Tells us about Cornelius who saw a vision, an angel in the vision to send for Peter to come down and preach to him. Peter has a vision where the Lord gives him direction and instruction about what to do and how to get to, to go with the guys that Cornelius sends, has sent for him. The next day he gets there, begins to preach to them. And notice in verse 44 it says, while, G- while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Notice that phrase, the Holy Ghost fell on them. That's the same phrase that's used over in Acts chapter 8 where it says Peter and John went down to Samaria when they had heard that Samaria had received the word of God for as yet the Holy Ghost had fallen upon none of them only they had been baptized in the name of Jesus. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is referred to in Scripture as the Holy Ghost falling on you. Thank God he falls. While Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. How do they know? And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now they clearly see or know that the Holy Ghost has been given to the Gentiles. This is big news for them. They didn't think anybody could be saved and filled with the Holy Ghost except Jews. How did they know the Holy Ghost had fallen upon them? How did they know they would have been filled with the Holy Ghost? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Now, folks, I want you to understand something. The early church, you judge the modern day church any way you want to. But the early church understood that the Holy Ghost was given when people began to speak with tongues. Or let's turn it around and say it this way. The early church understood... The speaking with tongues was the evidence, the proof 
that somebody had been filled with the Holy Ghost or that somebody had received the Holy Ghost in its fullest measure. Now, I know men have got, have got other ideas and other doctrines and other explanations and other justifications nowadays. But that's what the early church knew. You know, the ignorant ones, the ones that didn't know anything except the power of God, the ones that had miracles. But you listen to the ones with degrees if you want to. But that's the condition of the early church. The last one, the fifth example is over in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 is 20 years after the book of after Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost. Beginning in verse 1, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed to the upper coast, came to Ephesus and found certain disciples. And he asked them, or said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Notice Paul's question. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now, the since you believed has to refer to salvation, doesn't it? That's what makes you a believer. And notice he speaks of a second experience with the Holy Ghost that he calls receiving the Spirit or receiving the Holy Ghost. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Paul understood that there were two distinct experiences. He had experienced them too. He had experienced both separately. He got saved on the road to Damascus when Jesus appeared to him in the vision. He got filled with the Holy Ghost when Ananias laid hands on him. He understood it. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Well, that raises a question in Paul's mind. So he says, Under what then are you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Ah, okay. Now, folks, I want you to understand something. Paul Paul misunderstood their situation. Paul saw these people living in such a way, conducting themselves in such a way that he assumed that they were saved. He found out they were not. When they said that they were baptized under John's baptism, there's only one explanation for that, and that is there were some, maybe a few of them, that had been in Judea when John was baptizing by the Jordan River. They heard John's message of repent, there's one coming after me. They were baptized unto repentance, not unto salvation. Because Jesus hadn't been to the cross. They were baptized unto repentance. And it made a change in their lives. They came back to this place in Ephesus. Perhaps they shared what their experience with John the Baptist was. And they got others to follow with them. I think the Bible says there were about 12 of them. Maybe they had an influence on others for good. We don't know. But they left the place where John was before Jesus ever came on the scene or began doing his work. They never heard about Jesus. And so Paul has mistakenly identified them as saved when they weren't. It's harder to tell when somebody's saved than it is to tell when they're baptized with the Holy Ghost. Because being saved is an internal experience. And you can fool just about anybody with an internal thing. But being filled with the Holy Ghost has an external evidence. It's clear to see. So Paul said, Paul explains to them. He said, John truly baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, he preaches to them, Jesus is the one that Paul, that uh, John said was coming after him. Jesus is the one that came to the earth, died on the cross for your sins, and was raised from the dead. He's the one that John told you to believe in. So when they heard Paul say these things, they readily accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Verse 6, and second experience. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them before it was spoken of as being filled with the Spirit or the Holy Ghost falling. Now it says the Holy Ghost came upon them and they spake with tongues and prophesied and all the men were about 12. 
So you've got five experiences. These are only five times when anybody is spoken of in, in the book of Acts as being filled with the Holy Ghost or receiving the Spirit of God. Of those five, you've got Acts chapter 2 where it clearly says they spoke with tongues. You've got Acts chapter 19 where it says they spoke with tongues and prophesied. You've got Acts chapter 8 where Peter says you don't have any place with this matter of utterance. You've got Acts chapter 9 where it says that Paul was filled with the Holy Ghost. We know that he spoke with tongues. And then you've got Acts chapter 10 where Cornelius and his household received the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost fell on them and they spoke with tongues and magnified God. So you've got three clearly saying that everybody spoke with tongues when they were filled. You've got Acts chapter 8, which tells us through the language, not the translation, not the King James translation, but the Greek language itself, that tells us that there was an utterance that was a part of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And you've got Paul that by his own testimony, who was filled with the Spirit of God, spoke with other tongues. So what should being filled with the Holy Ghost look like today? Shouldn't it look the same as it did then? Shouldn't it be the same experience and have the same evidence as it did then? To say otherwise is to add or to take away from Scripture. Now turn with me back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me close with this real quickly. Some will say, yeah, but the Bible says that not everybody's going to speak with tongues. Well, let's examine that and see if that's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, chapter 12, verse 28. And God has set some in the church. Now, the things that that Paul starts off with here by the Holy Ghost. Now, concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. He talks about three things that pertain to the Holy Ghost. Spiritual gifts or manifestations of the Spirit. The body of Christ. And the third thing is ministry gifts or ministry offices. All those are in chapter 12. Those three things are the things that God does not want us ignorant about. Not just spiritual gifts. Thank God we don't have to be ignorant about them. But he doesn't want us ignorant about anything pertaining to the Holy Ghost. So it says, and God set some in the church. First apostles. Now what's an apostle? Isn't that a ministry office? So what's he talking about? He's talking about ministry offices. And God has set some in the church. First apostles, secondarily prophets, that's a ministry office. Thirdly, teachers, that's a ministry office. After that, miracles. Apparently, miracles is a ministry office too. Then gifts of healings. Gifts of healings would have to be a ministry office. Helps, that's a ministry office too. May not be a public ministry, but it's a ministry office that God has set in the church. Thank God for the ministry of helps. We couldn't run without them. Governments is a ministry office too. God has set some in the church to rule the church, to govern the church, to be in charge. Comes as a big surprise to some people that they're not in charge. That's usually the last morning in church when they come to that realization. So governments is a ministry office. And then notice he also mentions diversities of tongues which is a ministry office. Then he asked the question, are all apostles? Well, certainly not. Let's ask the question this way, according in the literal manner in which he's uh, referring. Does everybody stand in the ministry office of the apostle? No. Are all prophets? Does everybody stand in the ministry office of the prophet? No. Does everybody stand in the ministry office of the teacher? No. Does everybody stand in the ministry office of miracles or are workers of miracles? Clearly not. Have all the gifts of healings, the ministry office of the gifts of healings? Certainly not. Do all speak with tongues? He's still talking about ministry offices. He's saying, will everybody operate in the ministry office of diversities of tongues? Certainly not. But see, some people will pull that out of context and they'll say, well, see, Paul is saying not everybody's going to speak with tongues. Paul's not saying any such thing. He's saying not everybody will be used in a ministry office of tongues and or interpretation. 
But the Bible clearly says, the Bible clearly indicates to us in Ephesians chapter 5, gives us a command, be filled with the Spirit. It's not a suggestion. It's instruction from the Lord himself. Be filled with the Spirit. Why? Well, go back to where we started. One reason is Jesus said it's one of the signs of the believers. I don't know about you, but I want every sign of a believer that I can get. I'd sure hate to stand before the Lord at the end and say, well, that tongue thing, I, you know, I just wasn't into that too much. Now, folks, let me, uh, let me close up with this. Here's one reason that tongues is fought against so much in the church world. The Bible said, He that speaketh unto, unto God, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, is that verse 4? Verse 2, verse 4, somewhere in there. 2, verse 2. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. Howbeit in the Spirit, for no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit, he speaketh mysteries. Now, Weymouth's translation says of that word mysteries, divine secrets. Now, stop and think about that for a minute. When the Bible says clearly that speaking in an unknown tongue is not speaking for the benefit or the purpose of, of speaking to men, for men to understand you. Speaking in tongues is speaking in an unknown, or speaking in, in tongues is speaking in a tongue unknown to the hearer. It may or may not. I'm sorry, I messed that up. Speaking in tongues is speaking... is the why am I having such a hard time with this? <laughs> unknown tongue means unknown to the speaker. It may or may not be unknown to the hearer. And the Bible says when we speak in, a, in an unknown tongue, we're speaking unto God, not to men. But what are we speaking unto God? Well, Weymouth's translation says we're speaking divine secrets. That means the devil doesn't know what you're saying. And in my opinion... That is the foremost reason why the devil fights it so much. You determine that you're going to spend time in prayer. If you're speaking in English, the devil won't hassle you too much about that. You determine you're going to speak a certain period of time in tongues. As soon as you start speaking in tongues, you will think of everything in the world you have not done. <laughs> You'll think of things that you haven't thought of in years that need to be taken care of right now. <laughs> because the devil doesn't want you speaking secrets. He understands you when you speak in English. He does not have a clue when you're speaking in tongues. Not a clue. Thank God for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, as I said, we haven't gotten into tongues and interpretation of tongues as a ministry gift or a ministry office, manifestation of the Spirit. But as I said, all tongues are the same in essence. Where they differ is in purpose and use. Next time we'll talk about the purpose and the use. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege that we have not only to be saved to be a new creature in Christ Jesus, but also to be filled with the Spirit of God. Thank you, Father, that that infilling of the Spirit induces us with power from on high. We recognize, Father, that being filled with the Spirit and speaking with other tongues is the threshold to cross, to enter into all the power of God. What a privilege it is, Father, to be able to speak directly from our spirits with you now with heads bowed and eyes closed wouldn't make much sense for us to teach on being filled with the holy ghost without giving people a chance to receive if you're here this morning first and foremost we'd want to make sure that you're saved because being filled with the spirit is not for the world it's for the church so if you're here this morning and you don't know jesus as your lord and savior but you want to accept him his sacrifice for yours to enter into the family of God you want to miss hell and make heaven when this life is over now if you're here maybe you've gone to church for years but if you can't point to a moment in time 
where you know that you know that you know that you prayed to ask Jesus into your heart. If you don't know that you know that you know that if you were to take your last breath in just a moment, that your next breath would be in heaven in the presence of the Lord, then today's your day. Now's the time to receive Jesus. If you're here this morning and would say, Pastor Mike, pray for me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm simply going to ask you to raise your hand. By raising your hand, you're not joining the church. You're just asking for prayer for Jesus to come into your heart. Anyone, anywhere. All right, I have another invitation in line with what we were teaching this morning. If you're here this morning and you would say, I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. I want the Holy Ghost to fall upon me, to come upon me, to endue me with power, just like the Bible says that he will. I'm going to ask you, with heads bowed and eyes closed, you raise your hand. Again, you're asking for prayer. Yes, ma'am. Are there others? Yes, ma'am. Pray for me. I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. All right, good. You can put your hands down. To these two ladies that have raised their hands, I want you and only you to open your eyes and look up here at me. I want to talk to you for a minute. There's any number of ways that we could do this, but we want to do it in a way that you'll be most comfortable so that you'll be able to receive. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to gather your things. There's a gentleman standing right by the door over there. He's got his hand raised. He's going to take you out to a room right off of the lobby that we use as a prayer room. We can be prayer prayed for, ministered to individually. You won't have to worry about people looking at you or whatever. If you came with a friend, you want them to go with you, just tap them on the shoulder. I'm sure they'd be glad to go with you. If you meant business, if you were serious, you want to receive from God, gather your things and meet this gentleman over by the door now, if you will, please. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Glory to God. The rest of you in the congregation, I want you to pray with me for these people that are going to the prayer room. Father, I thank you for these two people that have given themselves to you in a greater measure than ever before. I thank you, Father. You said that those that come unto you, you would no wise turn them away or cast them out. So I thank you, Father, for filling them with the Holy Ghost this morning in the name of Jesus. I thank you that they'll receive easily and simply because they've heard the truth of the word. That they'll yield their tongue to be used of the Holy Ghost and to speak out the words that you give them. More importantly, Father, I thank you that their lives will never be the same from this moment forward. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, that you will manifest yourself to them in power. In a very tangible way so that they'll know that they know that they know. That they've received all that there is of you. In Jesus' precious name, if you can agree with that, say amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, let's all stand. Folks, I made the the statement, maybe not without the emphasis I should have placed on it. But speaking of the tongues is the threshold. It's the doorway to all of the other manifestations of the Spirit. The more you speak with other tongues the more sensitive your spirit becomes to the Holy Spirit and the easier it is to yield to him when he wants to use you. Too many times people are filled with the Holy Ghost and then they don't use it or they don't use it regularly. Speaking with tongues should be a daily experience for you. I say daily and and I'm really, well, I hesitate to say it that way because you should be speaking in tongues multiple times daily. Doesn't have to be for long stretches. Doesn't have to be for an hour at a time or anything like that. But you should be speaking in other tongues, speaking secrets with the Lord throughout the day at every opportunity. Now, let me encourage you not to do it around people that don't know. They'll think you're nuts and you would be. But there's always time that we can steal away from other people to spend a few moments with the Lord. The more you do that, the more conscious you become 
of the Holy Ghost within you, the more he'll be able to utilize you. Amen? Say this after me. I am filled with the Spirit of God. Therefore, I am endued with power from on high. I speak with God, divine secrets in other tongues. He speaks back to me and shows me his will, his plan, and his purpose for my life. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. We love you. Have a great day. Come back and be with us tonight if you can. And you're dismissed.